Hello, welcome to Grassroots Conversations. I'm Evan Savage. I'm the host of the podcast. We are a podcast that is associated with Grassroots Church in Rockford, Illinois. And I'm also the lead pastor at Grassroots Church. And uh, we are continuing our Friday Bible series uh, where we talk about the Bible. Now, last week uh, we talked about Genesis. And this week we are talking about Exodus. And so I cannot wait to uh, share some stuff with you. It's going to be a general overview of what Exodus is about. Um, I hope it helps you when you're reading it. Um, And with all of that, let's get to it. So the book of Exodus, you know, this is uh, the second book of the Bible. Um, It is a continuation of the story from Genesis. If you uh, have read through Genesis, the end of Genesis is uh, the the Hebrew people uh, end up in Egypt. Joseph and his brothers, you know, Joseph brings his family out and they bring uh, all their family and they start to build uh, the nation of Israel within the the confines of, of Egypt. Uh, and it ends with you know, Joseph and his family essentially just dying. And so uh, we pick up uh, Exodus right immediately. Uh, it picks up right after the book of Genesis. Like I've said, if you remember that these are all, especially these first five books of the Bible, are actually all one long uh, story, one long document. Uh, they pick up right after the the other one ends. So, um, this is generally, uh, uh, this is not unique to just these first five books but this is really like when we talk about the torah and we talk about these first five books of the bible we're really just talking about one long document that was split up into five major sections and each five major section is split up into even more sections itself and so uh today yeah so the the book of exodus picks up right off and, and it and it begins by telling us the story of how uh the israelites uh, the Hebrew people had grown into uh, a, 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 like a large group of people, huge group of people in Egypt, and the Pharaoh, um, and the Pharaoh gets a little bit, uh, a little bit scared of that. If there was an uprising, the Pharaoh becomes, as the story goes, the Pharaoh uh, becomes a little uh, nervous that if there's an uprising, that the Israelites will be able to overtake uh, his army. Now that's Probably un- unlikely, but uh, it begins in chapter one with the enslavement. So what Pharaoh does is fir- the first thing he does is he enslaves them. And the second thing he does is he kills all of the the ch- all of the boys, all the ch- uh, child boys, baby boys, child boys, to to try and stop them from uh, reproducing. Obviously, you know you need male and female to reproduce. And so we we find. Um, here in chapter one, it's a story of how the Israelites went from being kind of the people of Joseph, who Joseph was a very powerful man in the land, and how they went from that into becoming an enslaved people. So chapter one is really about the enslavement of uh, of the, the the Israelites. And then we get into chapters two through four. Two through four is the call of Moses and his maturation, if you will. Moses, as if you know the story, Moses put into a basket uh, in the reeds of the Nile Delta, and uh, he is found by uh, like the princess of Egypt, if you will, and then he's raised in the house of Egypt, and uh, his mother gets to actually teach him, his actual mother gets to teach him, and things like that. 
And so, it's the, and then Moses ends up killing uh, an Egyptian. He runs away, and God calls him through the burning bush. And this this is the story of where we get the first instance of the name of God in the Bible. From here on out, it is uh, God is referred to as Yahweh, um, or if in if you're in English, Jehovah is a different way to say that. But Yahweh, which means uh, it's really an acronym, which is I am that I am. Uh, which is what who God refers to himself uh, in the burning bush. I am that I am. And so it really just means that God is. God is simply exists, right? And so we get that instance. We, we finally learn the name of God. Before this, God was referred to as either El or Elohim, which is means actually the gods or the host of gods. But uh, the, the Hebrew people took that name uh, to refer to uh the creator God. And so we pick up here in, in so chapters two through four. So chapter one's enslavement. Chapters two through four is the call of Moses. We learn the name of God, which is really the most important aspect of this. We get to finally uh, 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 see who God is on a very basic level. And then chapters five through 15 is really where the story starts to, to pick up a little bit. It's, it's about God's conflict Yahweh's conflict with the gods of Egypt, but the gods of Egypt are represented through the Pharaoh. Um, and, and the conflict uh, manifests itself as plagues. The thing about this is that each plague is easily representable by a different Egyptian god, whether it's uh, you know the Nile turning blood or locusts or hail, whatever it is, it, it's, it's, it's a referral to how God has control over all the... Th- all of creation, and that the these uh, Egyptian gods, well, aren't actually gods. There's no such thing as Horus or Ra or whatever it is, right? And so uh, it, it's really God showing his power and God showing his authority and God showing who he actually is, who the one true God is. That's the, like, kind of the point of the plagues, if you will. And it's also to try and force pharaoh's hand into letting them go and as the story goes uh pharaoh says no 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 i'm not releasing the people you know they're my slaves (laughs) i'm not going to release them and so eventually god uh does this final plague which is really the spirit of death and and the firstborn son of all the households will die unless they put lamb's blood on their door sill and that lamb's blood uh causes the spirit of death to fly over or pass over that house, which is where we get uh, the institution of the festival of Passover. This is kind of the big, the biggest of the festivals for the Jewish people. This is where you remember God's redemption and deliverance out of Egypt and how God is a God of deliverance. And so this is kind of the institution of Passover uh, right, uh, right at the beginning here, how the spirit of death passes over the people. So that's chapters five through thirteen. Uh, chapters fourteen through eighteen uh, is uh, the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt. It's the story of them walking, and then it's the uh, the 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 Red Sea, and how they cross through the Red Sea, and the waves, and all that stuff, and how Pharaoh's army is destroyed in the Red Sea, and things like that. So the exodus of Egypt, the kind of the climactic event thus far in 14 through 18. Then there's 19 through 23, which is Israel's covenant uh, with God is established. 
That is, Israel, one, becomes a nation, and two, is a nation that is in a covenant relationship with God. And this is the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. All that stuff happens in 19 through 23. And then 24 through 40 is uh, the building of the tabernacle, which is God's resting place on earth. The Spirit of God dwells within the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah, if you will, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And it's the building of and in, in the in the I don't know, consecrating of the tabernacle as the holy place of God, as the as the focus of of God's presence here with His people. And the tabernacle is essentially what it is. It's a it's a portable uh, temple, and it's a tent. You could tear it down. You could put set it back up. And uh, as the Israelites are wandering through the desert or, or going towards the promised land at this time, they uh, well, yeah, wandering through the desert. As they're wandering through the desert, uh, they're able to tear it down and set it back up somewhere else. And so it's a it's a nomadic tabernacle, if you or a nomadic temple, if you will. And um, that's uh, that ends it up. You know, we end with the tabernacle, and we end with essentially Moses not being allowed to go into the tabernacle, which is unfortunate for him. But in the chapters of twenty four through forty, there's actually a break in the story. Right in the middle of these uh, chapters, in, in chapters 32 through 34, um, there's a Moses is coming down from the mountain, and the Israelites ask um, to build a. Uh, they ask for another god, right? They ask for them to build a, a golden calf that they could worship. The Israelites kind of get a little bit out of hand. Moses is up on the mountain for too long, and they grow impatient. And Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments or the Law. And he sees them worshiping, and he throws the, the tablets down, and, and they break, and then he melts the golden calf, and he sprinkles the dust in the water. Then he makes everybody drink the water. Like, it's 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 kind of a, a little bit of a, a brutal um, story. But there's this interesting line in here where, um, let me see if I can find it really quickly. I just had it. Um... Uh, well, there's a there's this there's this idea. So they 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 build the they build the uh, the golden calf, and they come down. And I think I have it here. Let's see. And Aaron, so Aaron builds the golden calf, right? And then they come back down, and Aaron's and Moses says, "Why would you let them do this? Why would you let them build the golden calf?" And in uh, chapter thirty-two. Verses twenty, verse twenty-two, it says Aaron says this to Moses: "Don't be enraged. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil, and it really is. It's kind of coming full circle, um, and it gives us this picture of really the human condition. The human condition is uh, we have a uh, a natural inclination." to do what we want to do. We grow impatient waiting for things. We grow impatient uh, with God specifically. And through that impatience, we tend to rely on other idols in our life. Whether it's now and today, the idol could be music, TV, even family could become an idol. Money is probably the greatest idol in, in the Western society. And we kind of grow into this impatience with God. We can try to take the will upon ourselves and we try to live according to our will. And so 32 to 34 is really this break in this establishing covenant relationship uh, in this story. And it, and it, and it 
really brings back this idea that hey we are uh we are being driven to um we are being driven towards a uh, uh this impatience if you will and it, it goes full circle as if you remember genesis chapter 1 through 11 it's about kind of people messing up and God redeeming people messing up and God redeeming. And this is literally people just messing up again. God had just delivered them out of slavery and the people still had a drive to do bad things or do the things that are wrong. So that's a general overview of Exodus. Now, the other question is when was this book written and who wrote it? As I said a couple weeks ago, uh, all of the first five books of the Bible are attributed to Moses, um, but it's unlikely that Moses wrote it down. All said and done, uh, there is a likelihood that a lot of these stories are um, that Moses commissioned people to write them down. Then Moses, you know, brought them together into one document. That 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 is not unlikely. Um, that is actually a, a real possibility. Um, but Moses writing it down uh, himself is is not necessarily it's not impossible, but it's it's highly unlikely, and that's okay uh, because it brings a different power. Um, especially when you start to get into um, Deuteronomy, where Moses' death is described and stuff like that. Moses couldn't possibly write that down. And so, but the date of this book it picks up right after Genesis. So you could you could make the assumption easy easy assumption. Um, that this was written around the same time or like directly after the book of Genesis was written. Um, and so a lot of people would say this is probably, you know, more conservative scholars would say around 1400 BC, um, more historical critical scholars would say, uh, I don't want to use the word liberal cause that's not a great word to use, but. Uh, would say it's actually much sooner than that when it was writ written down and, and put together. What we do know is that the the Hebrew scriptures were not actually um, put together in its f totality, especially the Torah was not actually put together in totality until after uh, the time of David, uh, as it as it comes to when we start talking about the Torah in general. Um, the that, that there's evidence for that. There's archaeological stuff, but that doesn't mean these books didn't exist before that. It just means that there was not really a, a drive to quote unquote canonize these things. And, you know, it was this was you know three thousand years ago at least. So you're talking about a whole different way of looking at one what scripture is and two um, how you actually write these things down and 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 put them in what they actually mean. Is there does there need to be like an officialness to them for them to mean something that wasn't really the thought process of, of ancient people necessarily. And so uh, the one thing about the Exodus is that there, there, there's a vast date range of the actual Exodus account. Um, the, some people would say that the Exodus would have happened around 1450 BC, and there's more modern people who are actually starting to find some archaeological evidence for Israelites' uh, uh, presence in Egypt. Um, now they don't go by Israelites; they go by a different name, uh, especially when you're looking at the how the who the Egyptians referred to the Israelites as, and that could date anywhere from 1700 BC to to 1400 BC. So there's there's a few centuries here that uh, pick up uh, right where these events could have happened. Um, 
historically. The but so so the so the date of this book and realistically the date of this book is probably going to be around 1200 BC, 1300 BC, something like that. Um and uh the truth that Moses put it together, uh, there's probably some truth to that as well. Um I do not believe personally that he wrote it. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I know that's what tradition states, but, um, and, and it's a good tradition to hold on to, um, because we could actually put place it into a, a certain time period. And then we could explain some of how, how the story of Moses conversations with God and how all of that stuff came into be, uh, be in this book. Um, but the, the idea that he wrote it down is, uh, somewhat unlikely, but it's, it's, but it's okay. It's okay to have that. Um, the other thing about this book is that it begins, the way the book begins, especially the story of Moses' birth, um, mirrors uh, the story of the god Horus's birth. Now, for a lot of people, this is an issue. For me, it is not an issue. Um, so the story of Horus is this, is that he is uh, being born, he's born, and uh, he's he's a god. He is the sky god and the god of the kings. So he kind of protects the pharaohs, if you will. And so the the Horus account, it really is. So Horus is born, and his mother is scared that her brother. So his he, her his mother is scared that his uncle is going to kill him, and so she hides him in a basket in the reeds of the Nile Delta, and then eventually he is cared for and he's raised and he becomes the god Horus at some point and he's the protector of the kings and he is the god of the sky and all of these things um and so it mirrors uh to a certain extent uh the story of Moses now there's a lot of this mirroring that happens especially early on in the bible the book of genesis is full of it um with the story of Noah and even the creation story mirrors a lot of other creation stories um, and what mirrorism is tended, uh, what, what this mirrorism is intended to do is to, uh, be contrast to the, the, the belief of the day, if that makes sense. So it's, it's intended to be, to show, uh, Hey, our faith is actually a lot a bit different than yours. Whereas, you know, the conflict was between the gods, uh, when it comes to Horus, the conflict is man when it comes to Moses and the man and man and humanity is the conflict and God is the redeemer of humanity rather than the gods being in conflict. Does that make sense? And so there's this contrasting that happens throughout uh, these, these books of the Bible that really that, that expand the meaning of the text. Um, I, I know a lot of times we, we think that meaning is always found in historicity if you will, but really meeting meaning is really found in the transcendent idea of what the text is trying to tell us, if that makes sense. And so, uh, there is a, there's the, the, those ideas that happen. And I love the, I love that parallelism between Moses and Horus, the difference between that. The other thing is who, a lot of people want to bring up who the, um, uh, who the, the, the Pharaoh was, excuse me, who the, I was trying to think of my words, who the Pharaoh was in these, uh, in, in the book of Exodus. And a lot of people will say it's Ramesses because the city of Ramesses is, is described as the city that the Israelites built. Um, but that's probably unlikely. Um, Ramesses was at, would have been after the Israelites would have been there. 
Um, and there's archaeological evidence that shows that uh, there is a pharaoh, or a king, if you will, uh, in Egypt by the name of Akhmose, which is uh, means brother of Moses. And Akhmose was, uh, a, was a Egyptian pharaoh in and his kingdom, or his uh, 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 palace, if you will, sits where the city of Ramesses sits today. Or where the, uh, it sits actually underneath. So they found the city of Ramesses, and underneath the city of Ramesses, they found the city of Akhmose. And he was probably more likely the pharaoh during this time. There's other evidences for this that, that people are starting to find, and starting as they dig deeper, you start to find more um pottery that's that's more uh, like Canaanite type land pottery rather than Egyptian land pottery and so uh, there is this uh, there is some evidence for Akhmose being the uh, the Pharaoh during the time and we do have uh, Akhmose's body which I think is th- th- that kind of stuff weirds me out that we have these these bodies of these extremely ancient uh, Pharaohs and stuff that have been really preserved underneath the sands of Egypt. And so uh, when we realize that, you know, and so you say, well, why was the city of Ramesses uh, described in the book of Exodus? Um, What this could be in in all uh, reality is that this is simply where people say, when you try to tell somebody like, oh, where where were you born? Um, You would say, you know, Philadelphia or whatever, wherever you're born, Pittsburgh, Rockford, wherever, um, rather than you would, you would describe because that's the city that exists today. Now under the city, for instance, we live in Rockford, Illinois, before, before Rockford, there were settlements and stuff around, but those settlements really aren't referred to. We still refer to this place as Rockford, like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh used to be a couple of different cities that came together. That's where I'm originally born, and there's a city of Allegheny, which is now a part of Pittsburgh, Um, and so when you say, even if you were born in the city of Allegheny that no longer lives there, or that no longer is in existence, you would say, I live in Pittsburgh, I was born in Pittsburgh, because that's what the city of the day is, so when this was written down uh, and uh, described, it's really them saying, oh, it it is, the city that uh, the Israelites came out of was where the city of Ramesses sits today, if that makes sense. And so, um, there there is some evidence for for that. Uh, the, yeah, the likelihood of Ramesses being uh, the pharaoh is very unlikely, and his the pharaoh's name is never mentioned in uh, in the Bible. It's just the city of Ramesses. And so, there is evidences for that. Now. With that, the book of Exodus is really, when we come down to it, um, it is really the uh, a traveling book. And what I mean by that is it is it really bridges a gap. Now, there, there is some really, really important things in Exodus. Uh, God revealing his name is Yahweh. That's the first important thing. The second important thing is the Passover, the idea of God's redemption and God's uh, salvation from death. That's the second thing. And then the third thing, probably the climax of the whole of, of, of the Hebrew scriptures is God's revealing his covenant to Moses on Mount Sinai. And that's really the lynch, the linchpin or the hinge in which these documents go. But other than that, this is really a traveling document that, that bridges the gap between the story uh, found in Genesis and the story that picks up in the book of Leviticus. And 
you could make an argument that in the middle of the book of Leviticus, which we'll talk about next week, uh, we find the day of atonement. And as the day of atonement becoming really the, the most important day in the life, in the religious life of uh, the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And so this is really a traveling document that's really starting to point towards that day of atonement that's going to happen right in the middle of the book of Leviticus. And so I hope this has helped you uh, understand Exodus a little bit. Sorry, I was flubbing over my words a little bit today. Uh, We are still in coronavirus land and my mind, I I keep forgetting what day it is and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope it was helpful to you. Go ahead and subscribe. Keep keep downloading. We're going to have some more fun podcasts next week. Um, But yeah, I hope you guys have had uh, a great week. I hope you guys are staying safe and being healthy. And until next time, we will see you later.